Welcome to the New Books Network. Some people aren't that lucky. Like the one that Marlon Brando played in On the Waterfront, an up-and-comer who's now a down-and-outer. You remember that scene in the back of the car with his brother Charlie, a small-time racket guy, and it went something like this. It wasn't him, Charlie, it was you. You remember that night at the garden, you came down my dressing room and you said, kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. Remember that? This ain't your night. My night. I could have taken Wilson apart that night. So what happens? He gets a title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. I was never no good after that night, Charlie. It was like a peak you reach, and then it's downhill. It was you, Charlie. You was my brother. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have looked out for me just a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit. Instead of making me take them dice for the short end money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Charlie. It was you, Charlie. How you doing, Jake? Everything all right? Yeah. Ready? You got about five minutes. Okay. Need anything? Nah. You sure? I'm sure. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This is a very special episode of this podcast. You probably know how it works by now. I'm just going to spill it for you. We're doing Raging Bull. Who's not excited about Raging Bull? We have delayed doing this movie forever because it's one of my most favorite. It's one of my most favorite works of art in any form ever. And I can barely talk about it. That's the degree to which I love this movie. I mean, the moment I hear that opening music, my heart goes in my throat. This is such a beautiful movie and it's depiction of pain and suffering. And we almost had to get the podcast going for a while before I think we were like ready to take on Raging Bull. So so bear with us through this one because there's there's almost too much excitement. Typically, if Dan suggests a movie, I'll give my overall take. But Dan, I have a surprise question, which is, can you help me help me help somebody who has never seen Raging Bull watch it for the first time? What, w- what would you say to somebody who maybe likes movies or says, oh, there's nothing to watch? And you say, watch Raging Bull. What would you say to them? I just had this experience because I took my my son to see this film because it was playing at a revival house. He had never seen Raging Bull. I said, it's not like Rocky. Get ready. I said, strap yourself in and and just go with it. And you're not going to know what to feel at certain times. You're not you might not understand why am I being shown this, but just let the movie do its thing. And I promise you at the end, you will sit there in stunned silence. And he did. So he passed the test. And uh I think that it's not going to give you like a, a message. I think it's it's a it's a great portrait of a human being, and, it, and it's done so beautifully. But I think there's things about that human being about Jake LaMotta that are universal. Okay, what's one? Give me one thing. Well, I think that if I could take a step back, I think seeing it again for the I don't know eighty second time, 
I've often thought this for the last couple of years. I think Raging Bull is one of the great Catholic works of art. And, you know, it dramatizes core tenets of Catholicism in a way that I think Flannery O'Connor would have loved. Flannery O'Connor, if she were alive, would have loved this movie. And here's why. I don't mean it's got some religious doctrine, but I mean, it takes this idea. It's about, it's about a fallen man. It's about a man who wants to understand himself and like his role in the world, but he can't, right? He's like the Ur-Man in his fallen state. He tries to make himself straight. He's a crooked guy, tries to make himself straight, but he can't. And he's all anger and he's all appetites and he's all emotion. And he has these little glimpses of, of something outside himself. Like when he says to his brother, he says like, uh, I don't know, Joey, I've done a lot of bad things. Like maybe it's all coming back to me. But that's it. Like he doesn't have a podcast. He's a philosopher. He doesn't have sacraments or or college courses or, or books to process these things. And he he also has moments of real humanity when he starts crying after he threw that fight. Like that is such a raw moment, and his trainer's crying, and and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. Like I don't know how. Like you're you're almost crying too because you're kind of on his side there. I just think it's an unbelievable, unbelievably moving portrait of a guy with a very limited intellect. And I don't mean that to be snotty. There's one joke in the movie, right? I remember the one joke is he says, I bought a club, I bought a nightclub. Guess what I named it? Come on, guess. And he names it, remember what he names it? Jake LaMotta's. <laughs> like that's that's the one joke in the whole movie. So whatever, like he's not Paul Schrader. He's not, more, he's not, that's not his job, but it's a human being struggling with big, big universal truths. And those truths aren't like the truths in It's a Wonderful Life or the truths in Casablanca. And I think there's something very powerful about that. I, the thing that strikes me the most is, is all the fights because when you, so when you watch Rocky or something, right, which I mean, Rocky came out in the mid seventies. This came out in 1980. Um, it's very difficult to avoid comparison to Rocky. Rocky's about the fight. This is about fights, plural. And it's a mate in now the ring. And it's amazing how many fights are squeezed into this movie. I think I counted five and they're, they're all distinct from one another and they open up different chapters or different sections of the film, even when he fights the same person over again. Now, what you might be expecting is these wide angles outside of the ring like Rocky so that you can get kind of a, a synchronic view of everything that's happening in the ring, but you never get that. Very frustratingly, you get these weird claustrophobic angles where random fists are are coming out. Sometimes Jake Jake's fists more often than not, um, his opponent's face, Jake's feet, the opponent's feet, somebody's trunks. You get kind of these weird dissected bodies. And I was thinking, what? Why Why do you get these weird dissected bodies, which oh, again reminded me of Flannery, by the way, um, different weird descriptions of various body body parts that are disconnected to, to whole beings. And it struck me that having a fight scene with random fists is very much like picking and choosing lines from King Lear or Patty Kayevsky or or on the waterfront, right? It's like, what what if what if nothing really made sense and the things that were supposedly beautiful were devoid of the meaning that that they're supposed to be around or the 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 form that they're supposed to fit into and by themselves um they are grotesque and that's how that's how he turns like because the fights in rocky despite all the blood and the punching they're not really grotesque they're deeply emotional right so how do you transform that how do you get an audience who who's used to uh, symbolic violence in a, in a way, right? You you have an a, a, an an audience that understands boxing and symbolic violence and get it to be grotesque again, so that they can see it for what it is. And you have to dissect it down into random limbs, which are like 
lines outside of the poems to which they belong. Yeah, grotesque is a great word for it, right? It's an I because not only do audiences know how to watch boxing movies, I mean, like Martin Scorsese has seen somebody up there likes me. You know, he they've seen Gentleman Jim and all these movies. So people are trained of how to watch a boxing movie. They're also trained on how to watch a sports movie. And this movie flips those the way Jake LaMotta flips a table. You know, the other thing you said was grotesque. And I think that's a perfect word for Jake LaMotta. And again, it's not pejorative. Grotesque meaning exaggerated and, and certain qualities come up higher than others. Um, let me ask you this. Why can't he be happy, right? He gets the title. He gets the girl. And it's never enough. And it's not enough like, you know, I'm in the Nike running club. I'm going to push myself to the next milestone. It's that. I don't trust these signs of success because somewhere I hate myself. Like, what do you make of his, his inability to be satisfied? It's even beyond his ability to apologize, right? Cause he, he does try to make it up with some of the people that he, that he pushes away. There's yeah. that, right. There's that scene at the brother, end yeah. where all he yeah. wants is for Joey to hug. And it's, it's excruciating how many times he kisses Joey and, and even Joey like kind of half gives up and says, all right, all right, I'll call you. But like, you gotta let me, you gotta let me drive away now. Uh, it's it's a fundamental self-sabotage that comes from some like I don't want to psychoanalyze the guy, but right, he's he's unable to see that Vicky actually loves him, right? When Joey pushes Vicky and says, Then why are you with the guy? And she says, Because I love him, like because she really does. But he's not able to understand himself as worthwhile in any meaningful sense. So there, so there, so there is never enough. Like it's not enough that you beat Sugar Ray Robinson. It's not enough that you actually get the right. He gets the title, and in any other rational movie, that's where it would end. But it, but it, it can't end there because he's full of rage. Because he almost, you know, it's that that Groucho Marx joke. I would never want to belong to a club that had someone like me as a member. You know, Vicky is too beautiful. When he first sees her, she's in slow-mo. He's talking to her through the fence. Let's go for a drive. She's He can't believe, you know, remember the old Joe Jackson song? Is she really going out with him? This is like, is she really going out with me? And of course, like the first time a girl likes you, it's very flattering. You're like, wow, like I can't, I can't believe like the, all these lines are working or so. And then you get her to go out with you and then you get her to marry you. And you're like, wow, this, this, I can't believe it. I'm, and, but that's supposed to be like, um, make you click your heels as you walk down the street singing hooray for love but this has quite the opposite where all he can do is dig in and get more and more paranoid and more and more jealous and i i think that the message of this movie is almost it's it's like an anti-boxing movie right because what we believe as a culture as a society one of the reasons for our for our sports is the the idea is when you when you go from actual violence as a culture to symbolic violence it's supposed to be the place where you put the violence and it stays there. That's what right. That's why the ring is ringed in. That's and that's what's happening in Rocky, right? When you, it's like when you experience the conflict in your life, it doesn't matter how hard you hit. Life hits harder, right? So it's about right how you keep moving forward, yada yada. And a lot of those platitudes actually are true, kind of like in a in a strategic sense. But as a culture, we're supposed to think that's where you put the that's where you put the violence. And this movie is all about the idea. That the bounds of those that the, those cage cannot ca they cannot contain the actual amount of human violence. You can sport as much as you want. You can play hockey. You can play football. You can do whatever. There's no there. There's much more human rage just in Jake as a man, like one man. Never mind the audience that's cheering him on. You know when when, you, when he messes up that kid's pretty face and everybody's laughing about it and all the pop and all the popcorns in the air. Like the first scene lets you know what movie you're in. 
uh, and I don't mean the opening titles, which of course are beautiful and they're they're famous, but you have a winner who loses and a loser who wins, right? Because the guy who quote unquote wins the fight has to be carried out of the ring. And the guy who lost is standing there because he's the champion. And that, right. So it turns all, and it's not, he doesn't like lose win, like Rocky lose wins. He actually lose wins because he's a winner ultimately who's a loser. Yeah. And in that scene, remember after they carry the guy out, there's a fight where in the stands and remember the chairs start flying. So I, I love what you just said about the ring, about how the, 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 the idea of boxing is we're going to ring in this, this sphere of violence and we're going to separate ourselves from the outside. Right. So that's why, of course, you know, you see like, was anyone more charismatic outside the boxing ring than Muhammad Ali? Right. Totally. But like guy exudes charisma and then he gets in the ring and all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, you could turn that on. And there's a lot of boxers that are like that, but Jake isn't. And that's why, of course, the fight, you know, and and his his self-hatred and his rage, they just come up in every single scene of the movie, right? He doesn't box. Like, he goes in there to kill people. And he goes in there to mess up their face, right? Yeah. And, and, and what you're, when you're in a boxing movie or a hockey movie or a football movie, right, there's supposed to be things about violence that are satisfying, but they're contained, they're literally contained within the screen, right? They're contained within their box. And this movie goes, what if he's just as violent as home? What if he's just as violent with his kids? What if he's just as violent in front of his uh, in in front of his brother's kids? What if, in fact, his rage spills out to the periphery and his brother picks up on some of it? Right. And violence is not just a function of the fact that he's tough, but there's like a hierarchy of toughness so that when you're when you're just as Jake to somebody else, you can Jake them. You know what I mean? And well, I'll show you a person that Joey can Jake, you and, know, and that, right. Yeah. It's a chain of violence. And when it spills over, of course, that also spills over to himself. That's why the scene in the beginning where he makes Joe Pesci punch him in the face and he goes, take the towel. I was like, no, your cuts are going to open up. Like that's, if there was ever a better portion of somebody filled with self-loathing, but, and I'll, and then I'll end here, but not able to articulate its source and not able to talk about even why it exists. Right. If you said to him, why do you think, and actually Joey does, maybe Joey's the voice of like normalcy in the movie. He's like, why do you think Vicky's cheating on you? What do you think's going on? Right. No, no one can give him a good enough answer. When he says, what did you mean? He was good looking. She goes, I don't know. I just meant he was like a young, I didn't see, he wakes her up. Remember what he says? Mean? I don't know his face. Yeah, right. And then he turns into this whole thing about Romero. It ain't good looking no more. And that even Jake cannot articulate it. And I think movies and literature and, and phony people at parties are full of moments of epiphany where they realize things. Whether he has an epiphany, we'll talk about later at the end. But I just think it's a great portrait of a soul in distress. You know, no, B, B plus writing is all correlative. And then yeah. this one, this one refuses to give you and it, it will not, it will not explain and it will not condescend. It just is what it is. Yeah. What scene don't we ever get in the movie? Oh, that's why I'm so angry. Oh, I'm, I'm angry because my dad hit me and turned me into a boxer. Welcome back, everybody. In part two, we like to talk about our favorite moments of this movie. It's going to be hard to pick just one, but Mike, having rewatched it for the show, what's your favorite moment this time? Yeah, my, mine undermines, I think, what we said in part one a little bit about Joey being the voice of rationality. Because while it's while it's true that he might try to check Jake or he doesn't understand Jake and so he voices our misunderstanding of Jake, uh, the, the scene where he takes it out on Salvi is is one of my favorite scenes. Not not the least because I think it's the first scene where Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci'd uh, on film and he's uh, he's just a, a great 
I mean, who doesn't love Joe Pesci? But um, I think that the way that he suddenly accelerates, it seems to be without cause. It seems right. It, it as I was kind of alluded to in part one, he just he is to Salvi as Jake is to him. Yes, and so it makes it clear that Jake is not a weird, this is not a movie about a weird freak or a jolly green giant who's just mad and ruined stuff that he doesn't understand. This is a chain of misunderstanding through humanity, which I think itself points to greater things like you were saying. Whatever it is that forms this chain is part of the thing that Jake can apprehend, that that, that he can apprehend, but he can't articulate and he can't get out. And I see that because Joey not only has the drop on Salvi because he's because he's sitting down, but he waits outside the door. And when Salvi charges past, he knows that the guy's going to charge past him to kind of make it seem like he was chasing him so he doesn't lose face. But instead of running away or making his getaway, he's right there outside the door, knocks him down with the stanchion, sticks him halfway into a cab where he's trying to get away and starts to slam the door on him, which is that's the that's the gratuitous violence. That's the Jake freak out that it makes clear is not a family freakout. Like, why is he doing that? Is it is it just because Vicky's out with him? Uh, is it just because he said, no, this is harmless? Or it, what's the correlative to his rage? And I think the movie has to be about something other than just that Jake cannot articulate what's wrong with him. The same thing is wrong with Joey. And the some, same thing might be wrong with Kathy. And the same thing might be wrong with Salvi. And the same thing might be wrong with us. I was going to say the same thing is wrong with you and the same thing is wrong with me because we've all had moments of complete irrationality. And I've never slammed anyone's head in a car door, but we've all done stupid things in the heat of the moment. We've all said terrible things that even now, you know, decades later, you can regret. So though, like Joey and Jake are exaggerations of those kinds of things. But going back to what you said earlier, that's a great point, Mike. Earlier is that like, um, there's no scene where it's like, oh, that's why I'm a boxer. Imagine if um, they wanted, Paul Schrader wanted to massage the story a little and he makes Joey like, he's he's actually um in the seminary or he's actually, you know, um, he volunteers with the poor or something like that, where he would have a different... F- a different approach to what Jake's going through. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work if Jake is unique. Right. Uh right when and when we say grotesque we mean the our lead character is a 4% exaggeration of us and maybe there's a, maybe other characters are a 2% exaggeration but I'm 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 inculcated in the film and I'm a 0% exaggeration but I'm I'm a part of the drama without being a part of it. Because the great way movies work is that you start to watch, you watch the movie and you think, well, I'm not like him at all. Like when he flips the table over and he's screaming about this, you burn the steak and how terrible he is. And then when he, like when he smacks Vicky for the first time or when he breaks down the bathroom door, I mean, those are horrifying moments that, that most viewers I imagine have not done. But the creepy thing about the movie, or creepy is the wrong word, the movie thing is that that Venn diagram of you and Jake LaMotta gets a little bit closer at times. And that's a strange place for you to be in as a viewer. And his his acceleration from tenderness to aggression is supposed to leave you very uneasy, right? Because he goes from stroking her hair and then he touches her cheek and then he smacks the cheek. And there's something internally yeah. going on with him while, while he's going through his imaginings. He's not voicing his imaginings, but the fact that you can understand what's going on in his mind uh, is, is part of the case against you. So what's your moment? So my moment is, I might cheat here because I'm going to try to make these connected. My moment is when he goes into the phone booth 
to call his brother back. And Vicky says, I'll dial the phone for you. And he says, okay. Now again, I don't want to push this button too hard, but I can't, I can't resist. That phone booth is like a confessional. It's it's like, he's going to go in there and he's going to, he's going to do the right thing. And the hardest part about literally confessing in a church or apologizing to someone is you got to start it. You got to start the confession, right? So if you're Catholic, the first thing you say is, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Now, that's a core idea of everyone's a sinner, right? But you have to say it out loud, right? Why? Why do you have to say it out loud? Because that's the only way to get it out. That's the only way. That, you got to get other, it out. Otherwise, it's the same. Right. Well, God knows I mean it. Well, I'm going to hear you say it, right? So you say it, and he calls up, and Joe Pesci starts cursing at him. Like, who is this? Is this you, Salvi, Right. And he just can't do it. He can't bring himself to do it. And that's so painful. It reminds me of the scene where he can't get the TV to work. Remember, they couldn't get the trying to adjust the TV. And he's like the TV. There's a signal there. There's some kind of image, but it can't communicate its message. He is the broken TV. He can't communicate to other people. He wants to. He wants the TV to work. The TV wants to work, but it can't. And I think that that the he gets more and more frustrated and more and more aggravated and more and more furious and full of rage as the movie goes on till you get to the point where he's in the cell after he gets thrown into the lockup, remember? And he says a line from a movie we've done already. He doesn't quote the movie, but he says, do you remember what he says from The Elephant Man, coincidentally? I am not an animal. Yeah, he says, I'm not an animal, right? And and he keeps saying, I'm not an animal, I'm not an animal. Like that's that's a moment where he starts to grasp like, who, who am I and what am I doing here? And he, that's, I think, the moment where he is like, he is mankind reduced to its lowest terms when he's punching that wall saying, why, 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 why? That that's such a that is such an unwatchable moment. And I mean, unwatchable, like it's terrible. I mean, it's almost too much to be endured. Yeah. It, um, and then just when you so you think the movie's over then and we still have him running into Joey on the street. We have his interview when he drops out of the final fight. We got, you know, there's, you you yeah. think, surely that must be the bottom. And right. it's like, no, we we got, we got a ways to go. And it is, but, but I think like, that's what I mean. Like he's in, he's in an empty room, right? And that's, and that and he's, and, and of course, who is he in there with? Who's he, who's he in that room with? himself that's it like what do you like he doesn't have he doesn't have anyone to distract him he's he just he's just forced to think about himself and the only thing he come up with is why am i like this and he doesn't know and all he can do is punch a wall welcome back in part three we always talk about the title or the big takeaways or what we make of the ending mike you can start us off wherever you like <laughs> Uh, I'll start us off with with the most obvious thing, which is that uh, Jake ends up rehearsing for his one man show, staring at his own face in the mirror with the cigar. Now he's out of the room that you were talking about, and he's literally he's literally addressing himself as though he's his own interlocutor. And the scene that he chooses to do in the mirror is the famous scene from On the Waterfront you know, the, the, I could have been a contender scene where he's, he's angry with his brother. The character's angry with his brother for convincing him to throw the fight. And typically it's supposed to be that the expression of the truth or the, the quiet thing that's been killing you finally gets said out loud, right? Exchanged 
between these two characters that are supposed to come to some final understanding. But of course, in Raging Bull, the formula is flipped because the character is talking to himself, right? He's when he's saying you, you should have been watching out for me. You should have been watching out for my career. You should have been giving me good advice. He's looking at his own face in the mirror. Jake LaMotta does not look at himself in the mirror and say, Hey, you know what? I'm kind of like Terry Malloy on the waterfront. It's kind of like he's not, but I love what you said of how he's, he doesn't have that moment. He can't, he doesn't know he's a character in a movie. He's not that introspective, but we are right. So he, he, you said in our episode about Stella Dallas, you said that Stella Dallas has maximum emotion with a minimum introspection. And that that's also going on here. You know, Jake Lamont is max emotion, but he has this, this almost moment of introspection, but I love the fact that it's not pushed where he doesn't have like a photo up of Marlon Brando or something like that. It says like, you know what? But certainly in the whole movie, he's going forward like a raging bull. He's a bull in a China shop. He's all forward momentum, right? What doesn't he ever do in the movie? Pause. Why am I like this? Maybe he's, st- I think he starts to do that when he's locked up in solitary confinement. And here, it's this time where he stops and at least looks in the mirror and starts to think what many people think all the time, which is like, why did I do what I did? Like, why did I do that? We say as a joke, what was I thinking? He says, but so he doesn't have this beautiful, he doesn't write an essay about it or a poem, but it's it's one of the first times we see him kind of stop. And so he goes, why, 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 why? I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid. And then he gets here and he's kind of like, yeah, like I could have had class, I could have been a contender. So we don't see, we obviously don't see this in the movie, but it's clear where the source material came from because Raging Bull was a book first, right? It, and it and it's not from a third Which person perspective, right? <laughs> you read it? Okay, yeah, so, read right, it. So, right, so, so clearly he got to some kind of place where he could at least, te- he could at least give the facts, you know what I mean? Which, it, which so he could, um, and let's call that like crawling over the ground in the woods looking for breadcrumbs and trying to feel for them in the dark. You know what I mean? So he got to at least some place to say, this is where I came from and this is where I am. I guess you make sense of it. Um, That's what the book is like, by the way. I'm sorry, because it's not like a powerful memoir of redemption loss. Like, it's not like that at all. It's like, I used to steal cars. I beat up a lot of people. I ruined my life. And here's where I am now and and figure out what it means. Yeah, I, I think the closest he can get is the apology a la what what he gives Joey, right? Yes. He knows he did wrong. He but he but you, do you remember do you remember what he says when he apologizes apologizes to Joey? What? Come on, he, come on. He's come on. Forget about it, huh? Yeah. Forget, just just forget about it, huh? Yeah. Like the, the the closest he can get is could you put that behind us and could we move forward in a different direction? Right. What he doesn't right. say is. I was wrong. You were always on my side. Uh, violence against family is never correct. I should have treated Vicky better, right? The, the closest you get to is forget about it, huh? And right, and th- but that's the- a huge. That's also a huge step for him, right? Because the thing I love about this movie is that to crawl out of that hole he's in, you don't just leap out of that hole and all of a sudden you sing Oklahoma. It takes a lifetime if you're lucky. If you dig yourself in that deep, or you end up in the Dade County stockade to get yourself out of there, right? It's not like you walk up to joey and say listen joey i don't know i did a lot of bad things and joey says you're right jake and they hug each other and the next scene is them like eating together at a big like that's that would be a sin i think it's it's so good because 
he's not Joey's not going to call him in a few days, right? Um, the stripper he's living with <laughs> is not going to help him. He's not going to have some like great marriage with her, like he had with Vicky or something. But it's like it's like it shows you how long it takes to crawl out of that hole, and he's not out of it when the movie ends. No, and so I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm just I'm I'm saying that he can't leave the ring because even the way that he hangs on Joey yeah. to steal an extra minute for my minute is like the way that you hang on somebody when you're waiting for the end of a round. You know what yes. I mean? Like 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 literally the 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 posture of his embrace is he's still in the ring getting battered by life and like and he's waiting for the bell to ring so you can go back to the corner and start to figure it out. But like when the bell rings, you're dead. Let's now talk about what you said about the, his, his introspection and the degree of any introspection he has. So the movie's over. Now, Jake goes on stage, but then Scorsese's not done because we get that quotation. So let's talk about that. I'm going to read it here because I have it here. So that quotation is from, from the book of John, and it says this. So for the second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind and said, speak the truth before God. We know this fellow was a sinner, this fellow meaning Christ. And the guy says, whether or not he is a sinner, I do not know. All I know is this. Once I was blind, and now I can see. Go. <laughs> uh, it's it's very, very difficult to tell whether or not that's meant to be ironic averse, uh, about his ability to, to tell what's going on. Whether or not Jake can see is difficult. I definitely see better. I think Scorsese, if you look at the imagery of where the where the cross is in every shot or almost every shot, you can tell where where Scorsese's mentality is. Um, and, you know, it, clearly he's not a boxing fan. You know, what I mean, I you know, I don't I don't think given the angles that we get and the grotesquery uh, of this film, but I don't necessarily know that Jake has been healed to the extent that he can see. Remember that Jake LaMotta was an advisor to this film, it says in the credits at the end, right? So I think that this this quotation has two things. First of all, it also has Scorsese dedicated it to its film teacher. So one nice thing is like, I was, you taught me how to see, like you taught me how to make movies. Like, by the way, let's let's pause and think about that. Imagine if your student says, I want you to, I want to thank you. And I'm going to show my thanks by making Raging Bull. Let's just, let's just dwell on what that must be. I like. am the teacher of athletes. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. Exactly, right? So, but I think that, Again, this idea about crawling out of the hole, I think it is that Jake does see. He doesn't see, he doesn't see clearly perfectly like we do, right? He still uh, he still sees through a glass darkly. He still see he still knows he did some bad things, but he knows that like when I go va, 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 you don't do that to other people anymore. Now you go out there and he's still angry. His you notice his comedy routine is all rooted in anger. It's all it's all nasty and it's, he's not funny at all. But I think that he sees in a, and the reason I love this movie is because it's so believable. He doesn't have the veil rent from his eyes. He, he, he starts to get closer to seeing himself. And, and think about that. Do you really want to see your full, your full self, the full mic? No, I, I think, I think the closest we can get is he makes himself a similar public spectacle for the benefit of those hearing the testimony and witness right it's is it a one-man show is it really a comedy it's a it's a mix of everything but it's more like take a look at me it's his, it's his own freak show speaking of uh uh i'm not an animal but i think that the fact that he was involved in the movie and it was based upon his memoirs it, it does suggest that jake lamada at least has some degree of vision can see can see, can see that can he see himself with absolute 2020 perfect vision 
Can he see the meaning of his life? I would say no, but I would say I would say neither can you, and neither can I. I, I can I think that he picks up on what Scorsese is after, which is if you think you're not Jake, you're wrong. I think I think that he can. I think he can get himself towards the level of the movie. Yeah. But the interesting thing is Scorsese will always be several, several steps ahead. And like, you, absolutely. And like you said, like, you don't get the, you don't, you're not told as a viewer the degree to which Jake understands us at the end. You know that it's not zero and it's definitely not a hundred. So if what does he understand like 20% of what his life meant? Like, does he understand half of it? Like, I don't know, maybe it depends on the day. But I think that the movie dramatizes, the movie's about somebody who was blind and comes to see, but it does that in a way that shows the process of gaining that vision, takes your entire life, maybe if you're lucky, Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Raging Bull. You can follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You can follow us where, Mike? Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd and give us a pod where this bull can rage. Thanks, everybody. Bye.